good to see everybody here today. Welcome to everyone. We are glad that you're here. And we're, uh, it's great to be here with uh, God's people to celebrate God's birth and, uh, and God's life and God's presence in our lives. So welcome to everyone. We welcome our guests especially today. Uh, we're glad that you're here and hope that God will bless you in a very special way. Let me remind everyone of our attendance sheets on each row. I'd like to ask if you wouldn't mind to take those and fill them out, fill them out so we can have a record of your attendance with us this morning. And go ahead and take your phone and check in on, on your social media today. Uh, also, a few announcements I'd like to call to your attention. First of all, uh, we're going to be having our deacon election coming up here in a couple of weeks. And as we normally do, there is a sheet on the, uh, on the table. And if you don't want to be considered uh, to be elected as a deacon, please strike your name from that sheet. Um, uh, if you wouldn't mind be, being considered, please uh, leave it on there. But if you definitely don't want to be a deacon, then please strike your name on that. We do that so that people don't get nominated who aren't going to accept it. So uh, we would appreciate that. And we'll have our, our, our election in a couple of weeks. It is December, folks, and that means buckle your seatbelts. We've got a lot of things going on. Uh, beginning this afternoon, we have the Alice P. Taylor um, um, musical program, uh, and it will be at 4 o'clock at the Presbyterian Church. And the, I understand the Tapestry Choir. I had to think about the name of that. I, I forgot it, and now I remember it. The Tapestry Choir uh, will be singing a couple of pieces of that. And uh, that is the choir, the com uh, combined choir of Community Baptist Church and First Christian Church and St. Paul's Episcopal Church and the Presbyterian Church. So you got four choirs there to join together to sing these pieces. And so that will be this afternoon. And then next Sunday, um, the Tapestry Choir will be doing a program of uh, car carols and candlelight. And that will be at St. Paul's Episcopal Church at 5.30 next Saturday, I mean next Sunday. Uh, so please put that on your calendar. It is a, a wonderful, we, have, we hosted it here last year and it's wonderful. Uh, so please put that on your calendar. We also need some volunteers to distribute goodies to our shut-ins on Saturday. Uh, if you'd like to be a part of that, be here by 9 o'clock on Saturday morning. And understand that we're going to be doing some caroling along with that. So if you'd like to... To, to be a caroler, you can come and join that as well. And our upperclassmen will be going to McCutcheon Meadows in Auburn, Kentucky uh, for uh, dinner on December the 15th. It's a beautiful mansion that's, uh, and it'll be decorated all for, for the Christmas season. Uh, so uh, I, I know it'll be a wonderful, wonderful time. But we need a count for that by next Sunday. So if you're planning on going to be a part of that, please let Sue, uh, Sue Berry know that you're planning on going so she can include you in the count. And they'll be leaving at uh, 1 o'clock on the 15th. Told you it's busy time. So. <laughs> but it's a good time, isn't it? It's a wonderful time. Today is the first Sunday of Advent. It's a time of anticipation. It's a time of looking forward to the, the birth of, of, uh, of God's Son. So let us uh, join together now. Let's stand. Let's greet each other and offer holiday uh, greetings to everyone in the name of Christ. Thank you. 
tells us that it is a maybe, a kind of unsure optimism, but in scripture, hope is an indication of certainty. Hope means a strong and confident expectation. (laughs) The Israelites were hoping for a savior, their Messiah. God had promised a Messiah and they believed it. They didn't know when or who, but they were waiting. Zechariah, a God-fearing priest, hoped for a child with his wife Elizabeth in the Israel of that day. Having children was considered to be a sign of God's blessing. Zechariah had prayed and prayed asking for a child, but God had not sent one. So as Zechariah stood in the Holy of Holies, preparing to offer the sacrifices for the people, an angel appeared to him with a message from God. Fear not, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. Your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son. You are to name him John. He will be a joy to you, and many will rejoice because of his birth. For he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He is never to take wine or fermented drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even from birth. He will bring many of the people of Israel back to the Lord their God, and he will go before the Lord to make the people ready. But when Zechariah heard Gabriel's words, his first reaction was not hope. It was doubt. He asked the angel, but how can this be? I'm an old man. The angel responded. I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God. And I have been sent to speak to you and to tell you this good news. Elizabeth did become pregnant, and Zachariah found himself wholeheartedly living in hope, in confident expectation that God would give him a son, and that the long-awaited Messiah was soon to follow. Today we too can live with Zachariah's hope. We can live with the certainty and the confident expectation that Christ not only came to this world as a baby, but he will return and everything that God has promised will come true. That is our hope. Today we light the candle of hope to proclaim that we are a hopeful people. 
children, will you join us down front for our children's moment, please? talk um, a little bit today um, about waiting, okay? Um, and I've got a, I want, meant to bring my book, but I didn't. Um, so, but I have a picture. Is anybody familiar with this book? Did you all read this book at school? Do you know what it says? What's the title? Oh, The Places You'll Go. Who's it by? Dr. Seuss. I'm a really big fan of Dr. Seuss, and this is my favorite book that he has written because it talks about your travel as a child and then an adult through life. Um, Dr. Seuss talks about waiting in this book, uh, and I'm going to read you just a little bit of it. It is a useless place where people are just waiting. Waiting for a train to go, or a bus to come, or a plane to go, or the mail to come, or the rain to go, or the phone to ring, or the snow to snow, or waiting around for a yes or no, or waiting for their hair to grow. Everyone is just waiting. So what are some things you wait for? Yes, sir. Waiting on people in line? Wait on them to get there. Okay. What else? Yes. You you wait on your mommy to get to work. Oh, she's late. <laughs> okay. Um, do we like waiting? Oh, does anybody else like waiting? No. <laughs> Um, I don't like waiting either, but we all have to spend some time waiting. Everybody does. That's just what happens. Now, today is the first Sunday of Advent. Advent means to come. Do you know what's coming? Christmas. Christmas is coming. So while we're waiting, instead of making that um, waiting place a useless place, like Dr. Seuss um, says it is, we can make that be very valuable by doing some things while we're waiting. Um, We need to be thinking about Jesus and his love. We can think about the true meaning of Christmas. We can think about giving instead of receiving. We can enjoy all the beautiful music and decorations of the season. When we do all that, we will find joy in the waiting place. Now, we are waiting for Christmas, but we're also waiting for something else. We are waiting for Jesus' return. He told us that he would come again, and he told us to watch and be ready for him. What should one do while we're waiting for Jesus? We should worship and praise him, love and serve him, share his love with others. When we are doing these things, we will be ready for his return, and we will also find joy in the waiting place. Let's just say a prayer. Heavenly Father, as we spend time in this waiting place, we look forward with great joy to your celebration of Jesus' birth and the day when he comes again. Amen.
are waiting for the Christmas time, each Sunday I'm going to share with you the story of one of our old traditional Christmas carols. Our Christmas carol we're going to feature today is called The First Noel. The First Noel is not spelt N-O-W-E-L-L the way you would think Noel is spelt. But this is a traditional English carol, and if you can think all the way back to when there were very few books and people who did have a book probably couldn't read it, and we were in the Middle Ages and Robin Hood, all this time period, we had wandering troubadours who would bring songs around that had all the information in it that we needed to know. And originally the French troubadours had a song that was called The First Noel that told the story of Christmas. They crossed the English channels and and they shared it with the Englishmen there and they really loved the song. The original song had nine verses and it told the entire Christmas story. Well, the Englishmen started using this song to start their celebration of the birth of Christ. They really didn't have the word Christmas at that time. On the birthday of Christ, or on on what they were celebrating as the birth of Christ day, their greeting to each other was, now all is well. So the French Noel, which meant the birthday and the first Christmas, they changed it to now well, because that was their saying, now all is well, because Christ is born. They would start their holiday celebration with a Yule log, which they hollowed out, and they put all kinds of spices, good-smelling stuff, inside the log, and then they would set it in their fireplace toward the back so it wouldn't burn but hopefully just heat up, and it would fill the home with this wonderful aroma, and they hoped that it would last for 12 days. That's how long they celebrated. And they would all stand around and sing the first Noel, all nine verses, as they started their celebration of the birth of Christ. Let us stand this morning as we sing the first Noel.
Dear Heavenly Father, we come to you humbly, as we should, as we transition from the season of thanksgiving to the season of hope. We thank you for your Son, who is the hope of the world. We thank you for the hope that you give us. And we hope that we can give this hope to other people. We hope that we can be the hope in this world. We ask your prayers over these tithes and offerings. May they spread hope. We ask this in your name. Amen. reading is from the book of Luke, chapter 21, verses 25 through 36. There will be signs in the sun, the moon, and the stars, and on the earth distress among nations, confused by the roaring of the sea and the waves. People will faint from fear and foreboding of what is coming upon the world, for the powers of the heavens will be shaken. Then they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. Now when these things begin to take place, stand up 
and raise your hands because your redemption is drawing near. Then he told them a parable. Look at the fig tree and all the trees. As soon as they sprout leaves, you can see for yourselves and know that summer is already near. So also, when you see these things taking place, you know that the kingdom of God is near. Truly I tell you, this generation will not pass away until all things have taken place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. Be on guard so that your hearts are not weighed down with dissipation and drunkenness and the worries of this life. And that day catch you unexpectedly like a trap. For it will come upon all who live on the face of the whole earth. Be alert at all times, praying that you may have the strength to escape all these things that will take place and to stand before the Son of Man. This is the word of the Lord.
Thank you very much. Isn't that a wonderful song? You know what? This is that's one of my favorite parts about this time of the year. It's the music, isn't it? I just love Christmas music. I, I could listen to it all year. Actually, sometimes I do. <laughs> Welcome on this first Sunday of Advent. Let's begin with a little confession time. When you think of Advent, what initially comes to your mind? Come on, somebody answer me. Advent calendars? Candles. Candles? Candles. Hope? Nobody's going to talk about Jesus? Jesus. (laughs) That's what comes to my mind. What initially comes to my mind is... is I, I, I personally, I get a little, a little excited about the birth of, of Christ. But did you notice that today's scripture lesson doesn't have anything to do with the birth of Jesus? Not a thing. In fact, did you find, as I did, that this passage was a little bit disconcerting? In it, Jesus seems to be describing the end of the world. There will be signs in the sun, moon, and stars on the earth. Nations will be in anguish and perplexity at the the roaring and tossing of the sea. People will faint from terror, apprehensive of what is coming on the world, for the heavenly bodies will be shaken. Wow. It's a pretty vivid scene, isn't it? Hollywood would, would have a great time with special effects portraying a scene like that. And, and of course, it's a, a scene that has been painted from many pulpits as a time of, of, of great terror. You might have heard the story about the, the minister who was describing this final day of, of, of life in, in the world with great drama from the pulpit. Thunder will boom, he cried. Lightning will strike. Rivers will overflow. The sky will be in flames. And there will be a mammoth storms and floods and earthquakes. And a little girl in the congregation looked at her mother and asked, Mommy, will I be let out of school that day? <laughs> well, a scene like this pastor was describing is enough to disturb not only a small child, but mature adults as well. It reminds me of the reaction that accompanied a well-known radio broadcast many years ago. Most of you know what I'm talking about, even though you probably aren't old enough to have heard it or to remember it. In 1938, Orson Welles broadcast a radio dramatization of H.G. Wells' War of the Worlds. It was intended to sound like a news report of an invasion of the earth by Martians. And it was so realistic that it almost caused a nationwide panic. Actor John Barrymore was among those who were convinced that the Martians had actually invaded the earth. And he managed to keep his fear at at bay until it came to the point where the invaders were allegedly marching down Madison Avenue. And so he rushed out to his kennels where he kept his, his 20 prized St. Bernards. He flung up the, open the gates and released them all. And great, in great distress, he shouted at them, Fend for yourselves! Well, I'm glad he was concerned about his St. Bernards. 
But I'm sure he felt pretty foolish when he found out that it was all a hoax. And we think about that. How, how did people fall for that? How, why were people so convinced about that? We look back on that situation from the, the safe perspective of hindsight. And we wonder how in the world people could fall for something like that. But of course, there have been a number of instances in the history of the church when Christian folks have gotten stirred up by some misled would-be prophet who has convinced them that the end of the world is at hand. And some of these good folks have done some radical things in response to that. They've sold their homes. They've left their jobs. They've neglected their responsibility. All because they believed that the end was near. When most of us think about Advent, we think of that special time of the year when we prepare to celebrate the coming of Christ at Christmas. And as Lisa said a minute ago, that's what the word Advent means. It means coming. It is a season of joyous anticipation. It's the happiest time of the year. But there's another advent in the Bible that is far more disturbing. And it has nothing to do with snowflakes and visions of sugar plums dancing in our heads. Luke describes it in our lesson for today when he says, At that time they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. What a mysterious image that is. Coming in a cloud of power and great glory. I don't know if you know it or not, but clouds are a popular metaphor in in the Bible. You see clouds from time to time. And whenever you see clouds in the Bible, they they, they are a biblical symbol of mystery and of the presence of God. You see it many times. He is coming with the clouds, says Revelations 1 7. Lo, I am coming to you in a thick cloud, God said to Moses at Mount Sinai. A cloud symbolizing the presence of God covered the tabernacle in the wilderness, according to Exodus 4. A cloud shrouded the mercy seat of the Ark of the Covenant in the temple, the place where the presence of God dwelt according to Leviticus 16. And a cloud of glory, the, the very majesty of God, filled the, Solomon, uh, the temple of Solomon at its dedication in 1 Kings chapter 8. A more familiar scene takes place in the New Testament when Jesus and three of His disciples are up on the mountaintop when Jesus was transfigured. And Matthew tells us that His face shone like the sun and His, his clothes became as white as light. And just then there appeared before them Moses and Elijah talking with Jesus. And then we read, while he was still speaking, a bright cloud covered them. And a voice from the cloud said, This is my Son whom I love. With Him I am well pleased. Listen to Him. So you see, when the New Testament tells us that Jesus is coming in a cloud with power and with glory, it's a powerful symbol of of mystery and divinity. 
It is a symbolic way of saying that we should be looking for the powerful presence of God in our midst. Those are interesting words, though, for a modern world. A voice from the cloud said, This is my son. Most of what we hear about clouds these days has to do with our computers. When tech companies say your, your data is in the cloud or that you can work in the cloud, it has nothing to do with, with white fluffy things up in the sky. It's actually somewhere here on earth. As a matter of fact, it's, it's lots of somewheres here on earth all over the world. Computer companies like Amazon and Google, they have, they've built vast networks of servers housed in huge warehouses and widely scattered locations. That's where the cloud is as far as computer users are concerned. It's not on Mount Sinai, but anywhere that a tech company can find enough power to keep their servers humming. Now, I know that all this talk about the cloud can be very confusing to those of us who are not into computers that that deeply, but I can assure you that it has nothing to do with the weather. It's basically talking about the Internet and where it resides. And when the Bible tells us that at the end of time, Christ is coming in a cloud, that doesn't have anything to do with, with computers. And when Luke says that Jesus is coming in a cloud with great power and great glory, it's a biblical way of saying that at the end of time, Google or Amazon won't own the cloud. God will control the cloud and all the clouds that have ever existed. And Christ will reign over all. This is to say that Christians ought to be excited about the future. According to the Scripture, all creation groans, waiting expectantly, longing to see. Not what Google will do next, or Amazon, or Apple, or Microsoft, but what God is going to do next. The future belongs to God. The people of Israel waited expectantly for the Messiah. And then the early church waited expectantly for, for Christ's return to reign as King of kings and Lord of lords. So you see, the Christian life is a life of expectancy. It's a life lived in anticipation that the promises of God will one day be fulfilled. Dwight L. Moody used to tell about an optimistic, cheerful lady who was nonetheless shut in. She was bedridden in an attic apartment and on the fifth floor of a run-down old building. There was no elevator in this building, and so here she was, <clears throat> lying there, all alone, in a shabby, dirty room in this run-down old apartment. One of her friends came to see her one day and brought another friend along with her. And the second friend was from a, a very wealthy family. And they wanted to cheer up this bedridden lady. But it, as you may be aware, sometimes those kind of things have a tendency to work in reverse. As they entered the building, the wealthy lady noticed how harsh and depressing the surroundings were. And 
As they took the stairs to the second floor, it was almost more than she could take. She said, such a dark and filthy place this is. But her friend responded, it's better higher up. They climbed to the stairs to the third landing. It's even worse here, she said. And her friend responded, it's better higher up. And finally they got to the fifth floor and entered, entered into this tiny rundown apartment of this dear old lady. But the lady's face was, was glowing to see her friends there. And, and she was radiating the love of Christ in her heart. And the wealthier woman, she just could not ignore the, the awful surroundings of this apartment. And she said in a sympathetic way, it must be difficult for you to live here like this. And the lady smiled at her and said, Yes, but it's better higher up. My friends, that is the promise that Christians live by. It's better higher up. Who knows what wonderful thing God may be doing right now, at this very hour. And it's no wonder that for over 2,000 years, people have been trying to to read the fig trees and trying to analyze the seasons and trying to see the signs and trying to determine when God's promises will be fulfilled. It's no no wonder that we've tried to do that. It's futile, of course. We can't do that. Jesus says that no one knows the hour of the day when Christ will return. No one knows what is in the mind of God. Not even the angels. But we keep trying, don't we? People are always looking for signs concerning the return of Christ. But here's the thing. We don't know when that will be. But we live in anticipation that God will do a good work. And that God fulfills God's promises. Secondly, we live in anticipation because we also know that God does not forget God's own. Most of the New Testament was written during a time of terrible persecution. Christians were burned alive to provide light in Nero's gardens. They were thrown into the gladiator pits. They were exposed to hungry lions and dogs. It's not like it is today. Today, if someone dares to disagree with our Christian position, we claim that we're being persecuted. No, we're not. That's not persecution. To be a Christian during the time of the New Testament was a test of real courage and and endurance. And so, a lot of the New Testament was written to Christians in order to say, hang on. God has not forgotten you. God will come. During this special season of Advent, our Jewish friends will be celebrating Hanukkah. Actually, it it begins this evening. And like our celebration, it's a celebration of lights. And they will be lighting a... Each night, they'll be lighting a candle in a menorah during the next nine days, celebrating an event that took place long before the coming of Christ. This event took place during a time of Roman oppression when after an impressive fight to recapture the temple in Jerusalem, 
the Jewish people wanted to relight the menorah at the altar that had stood there for centuries and to keep it going for 24 hours a day as a symbol of the presence of God with them. But the problem was that they had no candles. And so they used the purest olive oil, but unfortunately they they only had enough to last for one day. And they knew that it would take at least eight days to purify enough olive oil to, to provide more for the candles. But they lit the menorah anyway and filled it with one day's supply of olive oil. And they believed that by faith it would last until more oil could be produced. And guess what? It did. That one day supply of olive oil burned for eight days. And miraculously, the menorah did not go out. For our Jewish friends, Hanukkah is a sign in their history that God does not forget God's people. You see, God's people have always taken comfort in the knowledge that whenever life grows uncertain, whenever life becomes dangerous or difficult, we can look to the clouds, as it were, because God does not forget God's people. So as a Christian, our life is an expectant life. We are waiting for the promises of God to be fulfilled. We are remembering that God does not forsake God's own. And our life is also expectant because of one more reason. And Advent is central to that reason. You see, Advent reminds us to live in the victory that is already ours. And you might need to think about this one a little bit. Theologians speak about something called realized eschatology. Um, Eschatology is the study of the end times, basically. And, and realized eschatology basically is a fancy term that means that we can live right here and right now in the light of Christ's final victory, even though that victory has yet to be realized. Let me give you an example of what I'm talking about. It's Christmas time. It's almost Christmas time. And so you might be able to relate to this. Dan Bauman says that when he was a, a, a young man, a, a, a youth, at Christmas time, he, was all, he always did a lot of snooping at Christmas time. He's trying to find the gift-wrapped presents and try to figure out what was in them. He'd shake the boxes and try to figure things out. You ever do anything like that? Yeah, I can tell. Some of you are sneaky. But one year, he found a package that was easy to identify. It was a set of golf clubs. You can't really hide that, can you? (laughs) There's a set of golf clubs. His mother could not put enough wrapping around those golf clubs to to, to disguise them from her son. And so Bauman made this observation. He said, when mom wasn't around, I would go and I would feel that package and I would shake it and I would pretend I was on the golf course. And I imagined the beautiful drive and the approach to the green and making that long putt. And the point is, I was already enjoying the pleasure of the future event. Namely, the unveiling. It had my name on it. I knew what it was. Only Christmas would reveal it in all of its fullness. 
That's what realized eschatology is all about. It's about enjoying the wonder and the majesty of the victory, even though it is yet to be accomplished. My friends, we live in a God-invaded world. And even though the final victory is yet to be won, we live in anticipation and in assurance that one day it will be. So Advent is here. Let's begin the watch. William Willimon says that he once read about a woman in Louisiana who had raised about a dozen foster children despite the fact that she was very poor herself, living on a meager income as a domestic worker. And she was asked, why do you do that? And she replied, I see a new world coming. I hope that you have that kind of expectancy in your life. Jesus said, at that time they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. It won't be Google's cloud or Amazon's cloud. It'll be God's cloud. And everything that is bad about this world will be swept away. And only God's love and mercy will be left. And the children of God will have every tear wiped from their eyes. And joy will reign over all. Happy Advent, everyone. May it be a wonderful time of anticipation for us all. Amen. Let's sing together our closing hymn, number 472. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. You know, this is not really an Advent hymn, but kind of it is. Because we're talking today about the coming of of the Lord and and the cloud with great power and, and glory. I kind of anticipate when that happens, we will be turning our eyes upon Jesus. So let's, let's think about that. And let's live in our realized eschatology. Let's look, up, look ahead towards that wondrous event. And let's celebrate.
Good and righteous God, how we love you for being everything that we could be. Oh Lord, help us to become intimately connected to you that we can become all that you have called us to be. Thank you for tomorrow, for all of its possibilities, for all of its signs and wonders pointing to your presence among us even today. Teach us, O Lord, to walk in your way, to watch and to pray for your coming without fear or apprehension. For we long to see you, O God. Come, Lord Jesus. Set us on your straight path. Amen.